Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point, the B2B marketing podcast where we show you the proof in the form of case studies and success stories, and we get straight to the point so you can learn something valuable and get on with your day. Each week, we'll feature a top B2B marketing leader and discuss their revenue-generating strategies. You'll get actionable tips and learn how to accelerate growth through seriously smart marketing. Now it's time to have a look at the proof and get to the point with your hosts and founders of ProofPoint Marketing, Mike and Gabby Grinberg. Welcome back, everyone, to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. Today, we're excited to have Brian Urios here with us, joining us on the show. Brian is the Chief Marketing Officer at Alert Logic, a B2B cybersecurity company that delivers white glove managed detection and response for public clouds, SaaS, on-premises, and hybrid environments. Brian, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. So today we're going to do, we're going to talk something a little bit different. We're actually going to focus a little bit more on sales and how to maximize the value of sales teams. So Brian, why don't you, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording about how you've been able to get your sales teams to generate 90% of direct new logo pipeline, which is pretty amazing. So I'd love to dig into that some more and yeah, take it from there. Sure. Yeah. Any good B2B marketer will tell you the, the relationship with sales is obviously critical. It's, uh, uh, it's said many ways, sales and marketing, no spaces. People like to say marketing, whatever you, whatever made up term, I guess you want to use, but many models out there in B2B and a lot of my experiences on the, the tech side. And, but the, the critical role in the middle that I am a huge advocate for is the sales development, business development, uh, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And so today I think we can talk about some of the experiences that, that, that we've had and really how you make it a revenue accelerator. Right. It is critical. It's often the most critical or last step in the pipeline generation process for marketing. So there's a heavy vested interest in there and how those teams work together. And in a lot of cases for the sales team, it's a core part of their, of their pipeline. And Mike, as you mentioned, if you're doing it really well and you can drive upwards of 90% of your new logo pipeline, at least through direct, um, through the, through the BDR or SDR function. So yeah, lots to explore there. There's a ton to explore. I'd love for us to start with the way things are set up at Alert Logic right now. I know we, we again talked before we started recording about you don't own the BDR function directly, but you have quite a lot of influence over it. I know there's definitely an ongoing debate about who should own BDR <laughs> SDR function for outbound, whether it's yeah. sort of the CRO or you know VP of marketing or CMO, et cetera, et cetera. So. I'd love to get your take on why things are set up the way that they are right now for you at Alert Logic. Maybe talk about how your other experiences in the past and what you believe is the quote unquote, you know, right way to do it. All right. We have, we have four hours for the show. This might take a little while. Yeah. So, you know, what I often tell people, because um, this is one of those questions that uh, com comes up, it's a little bit of a chicken or egg kind of thing. My, my first answer is always, it shouldn't matter. At the end of the day, it really shouldn't matter as long as the teams are working together and it's truly sales and marketing, no spaces, then you are in perfect alignment, perfect harmony, and, uh, and everything is beautiful. There definitely are pros or cons. I probably at least would say I prefer when it's part of market, but it can work equally well in, in both cases. If it's in uh, an 
Marketplace actually uh, sits within the marketing organization. And what's great about that, first off, is the alignment with sales is by default, it's there. They are trained with a sales organization. They have a natural relationship with, with the AEs. They're aligned on, on success. And my partner on the sales side, who you know, we have a great relationship, it's very clear. He knows what, what he expects of them. And then when you have that trusted relationship, it works well because I probably spend as much time with, the, with our as, as anybody in, in, in the company. And because at the end of the day, you know, what the BDR saw for is not closed one deals. Obviously they're a contributor, you know, they enable closed one deals, but the BDR function is really about creating pipeline. And the, the way I've always positioned myself as a marketer, I am the one person in the company who owns pipeline. You, know, you gotta own, you gotta be accountable for something. And I put my accountability as a CMO, as a, an executive on our ELT around a pipeline. And there's many cases where I have hundred percent of control of how that pipeline is created but it's a great way to align yourself with, first off, the rest of the, the business understands what you do. Not everybody understands what an MQL is or an inquiry is, or you know how exciting it is to create a, a complicated piece of, of new content or whatever, but everyone gets pipeline feeds uh, sellers and sellers create bookings that generate revenue for the business. And many good things that follow that. So as long as there's that alignment on pipeline and the BDR's goal is pipeline and marketing's goal is pipeline. So it is a very harmonious relationship. And I can look to our uh, head of sales and say, Hey, I'm working with your team so that we can generate pipeline for a for yourself. I think some of the challenges you can get into is there's certainly some things that I don't have absolute control over. I don't, you know, have, I can certainly raise and influence things around comp, but I don't control the comp model, how we, we run spiffs and do things of that nature, but it's a pretty big lever. And I would say if you're in an organization where sales and marketing don't necessarily see eye to eye, then your BDR function or SDR function, whatever you call it, they may not be operating in a way that's really set up to maximize the value of what your marketing team is generating. So that 90% that you talked about may be significantly less in your, uh, that you're generating for every dollar you're spending in marketing could be cut in half if you don't have an effective sales development function, picking it up and, and taking it forward. Uh, one question that I'd love to ask you, Brian, is yeah. you touched a lot on this and, and we talked about marketing and sales being in alignment and how at Alert Logic the BDRs fall into the marketing team. What does that alignment look like between you and your counterpart in sales? What are some of the maybe tools or feedback loops or process procedure that you guys have in place that is allowing you guys to have such a tight ship between yep. the age old frenemies of marketing and sales. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it starts with numbers. It's something everybody can agree upon. It's fairly objective. And I've been in enough board meetings that I know the, the sales guy or gal gets asking most of the numbers questions uh, when it comes to bookings. Right? They'll defer to the marketing person to understand what's supporting it. It starts with the bookings number, and that's how every year, and then you may cycle through it throughout the year, we start with the bookings plan. And if the bookings plan is to grow 35% year on year, then you know I sit down with our, our head of sales and we waterfall it down and say, hey, what's it gonna take to support those bookings? And neither one of us essentially leaves the, the virtual room at this point um, until there is a path to those bookings. And the path may include, we're gonna challenge our existing sales a little bit more. We've got some new partner channel that we really think is gonna come through. So it's gonna grow at 60%. But at the end of the day, you're able to build it really from the bottoms up so that the pipeline that marketing is gonna contribute. And in this case, that's gonna generate through the BDRs if they're a step in that process, it's a number. And we can look at it monthly, we can look at it quarterly, Daily, and I look at it daily. I'm not saying you should be as obsessive as I am, but that's a little masochistic there. Right? A little daily. bit, a little bit. <laughs> but it's fun to watch it go up, and you know, that's really the starting point for us. Is we have um, 
We have a, a, a very objective thing that we know is the single source of the truth. And then from there, we can have conversations about something's not working, or I think we can go faster where and how to address it. And so those kinds of conversations become more of the day-to-day -day leads on conversion rates and SLAs. And we have an SLA where if somebody fills out one of our watch demos on the site, I mean, we want the BDR having a personal outreach, not just plug into, you know, we run, we use outreach.io. We want them to call them within five minutes. So there's all kinds of data that says how much, you know, better response you get, the, the quicker you do it. So we look at those kinds of SLAs. We look at just general conversion from MQL to TQL and how fast if they're not recycled within 28 days or move forward. It's probably time to do something. Has somebody responded, really jumped on a lead. So from top to bottom of the funnel that we manage, we have numbers that back it up. But then we have both kind of more formalized weekly conversations, as well as just when we see something happen or a BDR even shout something out, then we will get together and, and, and talk. But it's really an ongoing conversation that's just grounded in, in a plan, uh, in a numbers-based plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd love to take a quick step back and talk about that plan because uh, you brought up something that I think a lot of leaders maybe struggle with or maybe get wrong, which is the bottom up versus the top down plan. Very often what happens is that top down where you get, okay, we want to grow revenue by 50% this year, which means it's this for bookings. And oh, and by the way, now we need a million new leads. And then marketing goes, how what? exactly are we going to do this? So yeah. I'd love to hear your process on, because you have to do both, is you have to do the bottom up That's and exactly the top right. down. And then yeah. talk us through maybe a little bit of how you find that happy medium between the bottom up and the top down. And maybe if, if you have an example of where you were in a situation where that there was a huge gap between the two, between the top down and the bottom up and how you resolved that. There's always a, there's always a gap. <laughs> yeah, there, there is, yeah. There's always a gap. Yeah. And, and you're, you have to do both. And the, the, the top down, top down is pretty straightforward. And yes, that's where marketers freak out because they get assigned growth rates that uh, don't apply to any sort of logic. And the part of the bottoms up is not just build the stages and how many leads does this take and therefore how many opportunities are you going to have and so on and so forth. But once you go do that's really step one. Step two is doing the bottoms up from a program standpoint. Right. So this is also how we think about budget. If let's say that the bottoms up in the first set said you need a million leads, then what we're going to go do is we're going to build a plan that gets us probably not to a million leads or whatever, but that says, here's what it would take. What do I have to believe to get to that number? And what happens when you get all the way to the top is, oh, hold, we need a budget that is six times greater than anything uh, you know, planned in the next five years. We need to triple the size of, of the team. And now at least you have an objective way to say, guys, that, that number doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The flip side of that is you build it from the bottoms up and, and you have that gap. And I can tell you that happened this year. We looked at it and we said, look, we're trying to grow aggressively. There certainly are unknowns, you know, between 2020 and 21, just everything, all the uncertainty in the world. Our assumptions were probably a little bit more debatable this year than, than most. We just broke it down and said, if there's a gap that's 10% of the total, oftentimes I wouldn't call it a negotiation or a debate. It's a discussion, but we will, to some degree, where we see opportunity, it could end up splitting the difference where we say, hey, look, head of sales, let's plan for the BDRs to qualify and drive at a higher rate and get 5% better at straight up out and which doesn't require an MQL. And so it's a, you know, the channel that gives us some additional scale doesn't cost more money. And then on the flip side of that, we say in our world, we're in this cybersecurity category that is rapidly growing. It's a newish category. And so it's taking off like crazy because it's 
better way, but organic search is taking off as well. And so I'm perfectly fine saying, Hey, we need to get better. there's all kinds of opportunity there. So while our spend is going to grow at 20%, our number is going to grow, our goal is going to grow at 30%, let's grow or, uh, organic search at 40%. And we also happen to know that organic search leads convert at a higher rate, both to an opportunity and to close, so on and so forth. And so it's a little bit of a, but we put all our cards on the table and, and problem solve it and ultimately get there together. And that's actually a pretty real example of what we did this year was we knew we were going to see some growth on the organic side. We knew also we'd probably see some improvement on the paid side, even just because of we were, we're seeing good gains at the back end from last year. And so we trended that line forward from Q4 instead of saying, how did we do in total last year? It's a fun numbers game. If you like the numbers, <laughs> it's, it's a good time. <laughs> yep. No, you're, that, that's pretty much exactly how we operate too, in terms of when we put together the forecast. So that, that all makes sense. I wish we did have four hours because you just gave me like five other avenues to go down that are not related <laughs> to sales. But maybe we'll have to have you back on at another time to talk about all these other things. Um, on the sticking to our kind of planned programming, if you will, to talk about maximizing sales teams, what maybe talk a little bit about that. You talked about some SLAs already, but that handover from sales to marketing and kind of where, what does that look like? How do you decide what it looks like? And how do you, because that's often I know where, <clears throat> excuse me, where, there's a gap and that's why maybe yeah. leads maybe go unanswered, things like that. So I'd love to hear your take on that, how you guys do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first word I would uh, apply is it's dynamic. There is no set it and forget it and hide underneath the wall and hope that everything turns out okay. Cause you just threw something over the wall. First off, uh, the second word I would use is transparent. We're very transparent with our sales partners when we're, we're doing something. And example this year, we very significantly ramped up our webinar program to some degree. That's uh, a lot of folks probably did, but we took it a, to a, a next level. And, and so we said, Hey, look, you know, when, so, sorry uh, to interrupt. Give us just out of curiosity, give us a little bit of idea of scale. Like when we say ramped up, are we talking 10 a month, two a month? Or I'm, I'm making up numbers, but yeah, no, it, well, and it's, so we're like one to two a month. And, you know, I'll caveat what I mean by that is, you know, for everybody, it's different, right? For a super transactional business, generating uh, 5,000 leads is probably not great for a big enterprise. If you generate 50 that are million dollar deals, you're crushing it. So it's very much a, you know, quality tuned kind of thing. And that's really been the difference is we're probably average in the, the, the thousand plus range. We run uh, a couple multi-day virtual events with some of our partners where we'll get multiple thousands that register at least attendance these days is 30 to 50%. And we've spent a lot of time working through the, what do you want to do with those leads after? And obviously I think everybody in your show is smart and has been around the block and knows that you plan before you have the, whatever the event is within the BDR world. Do you have them follow up on every registrant on every attendee? What's, how much do you invest in that cadence, how automated, all those sorts of things. And so that's been part of a, a dynamic nature. We early on said, we're seeing really good track. Our webinars are very topical. They are very deliberately right in our sweet spot, but a problem in, in cloud security that we know everybody has. And so the folks that attend, they are very engaged. And so these are people that we want to talk to. And we have discussions about, do we auto MQL them and make sure that, that the BDR is followed up with every single one. Do we do some, some sort of prioritized order? We use uh, six cents data to look at intent. So sometimes we prioritize that you got to get to these in the first 24 hours and, and uh, so on and so forth. Sometimes we'll, we'll have a demo offer. Do you want a demo throughout as a you know, poll question? And so we'll prioritize as well. But 
you know, that's all part of that handoff process. And we could just shove it over and the BDRs would show up on their queue, or we have the conversation up front and say, it's entirely possible that we're sending you a bunch of noise. We want you to know it's coming and we want you to, we're going to give you some strategies for how to make the most of it and how to sift through it if there is noise. And then also we're opening the communication channel for, I think you said earlier, that closed loop of tell us what you're seeing. That is the qualitative feedback such that we can go make some uh, adjustments last time. And you know, that's, that's a dynamic nature. I will say makes certain reporting, period over period reporting challenging. If you ever tried to have an MQL report that was look three years of history and you may be dialing and tuning. And so everything from the volume to the conversion rate will move around a bit just because you're, you're making those changes throughout. Yeah, definitely. There's also the, those are the question of quality of the MQLs, right? Is how often have we seen where it's, oh, three years ago we had 10,000, this year we have two, and then right. you forget to look down, you know, downstream the pipeline and say, okay, but these 2,000 drove twice as much revenue. So who that, And that's exactly it. Pipeline is the great equalizer. At the end of the day, when I talk to our head of sales, when I report to the board, the, the MQL numbers, the conversion rates, those are all interesting, but honestly, they would just rather that I you know, know what those are. It's all about pipeline. And so that's, again, why if, if you have that relationship with, with the sales team, that's what you're optimizing. You're using every dial and knob. And if it means we send a little bit more noise through, but it means we don't miss anything, then, and it ends up with your pipeline number, then if you can manage it at that scale, then go for it. But yeah. I'd love to dig into that maybe a little bit more if we can stay maybe with this just to paint a better picture, stay with the webinar example, in terms of like, maybe just some more detail on what that orchestration looks like specifically. Okay. You're going to run the webinar, but how much of it are you, are you automating outreach to everybody who signs up? And then are you handholding everybody who actually attends? Maybe just give us a little bit more detail of how you currently do it. And I don't know if we can talk maybe success rates on that or something like that. Yeah, the word priority, I think, is how I would what I would go back to. We look at everything that that comes through that's related to that's in the campaign. I guess you say if you go to the the campaign in Salesforce, look at all, everybody that's in there, and then start creating buckets. And so you may have a, a tier of that's a first priority based on I, I mentioned before we have a live demo. So you want to talk to somebody you actually want to go through and see some, have a conversation, contact sales, anything like that. That is you know, very much a hand raiser. We'll bucket a few of those different types of uh, calls to action, the leads that fit that into one category. And in that case, yeah, it's very soon after, within a very short uh, uh, time frame after that, the BDR makes a call that they may spend five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever, two minutes, depending on just the nature of your sale, you're getting a little bit of information. So in those cases, it's just higher value. You know that they're a little bit more interested. So learn about the company, learn about the person, see who else is in your sales force, see if you're connected into, to anybody in LinkedIn. And that would typically all be in the sequence. So again, we, we use outreach, it would be in the outreach sequence. Uh, and so the rep knows it, we've talked about it beforehand uh, and they will go through each one of those, uh, those steps for each one of those, uh, those leads. And it tends to be a handful and they'll be distributed. So each of the, each of the BDRs has a, a share of those higher value leads. And then uh, second tier down and third tier down, basically the investment you make for a lead just decreases. And at the, you know, maybe at the bottom, you've got those that registered, but didn't attend. Obviously we'll send them the, a link to the on-demand version. We'll send them you know, corresponding content over the next, for us, it'll be three to five touches, something like that. And until we see some action or we see no activity. And at that point, they just drop into something that's a little more relevant, but a little more general because you're, you've moved on. At that point, a week or so after a webinar, people probably don't even remember that you were there into a just really contextually relevant information for them. Definitely. One, I think one last follow-up is 
We mentioned feedback loops. What does that the process look like? Are you looking for, is it after every single webinar? Is it getting in a room? Is it asynchronous? Is it, how do you collect that feedback? And then how much of it is quantified versus quality? It's yeah, you hit it. It's definitely both within uh, a couple of, typically a couple of days. It takes a little bit of time just to you know get all the data sorted out, make sure all the leads uh, have been updated uh, and whatnot. And we'll do an initial readout. We'll send something out that'll give just the basics. And this goes to all of marketing and a broader uh, sales audience as well. Because in this case, there's also, this is also that provided any assistance for the webinar. It's a little satisfaction that the role they played, they're now understanding something early on. At least these are leading indicators of how successful it was. Number of attendees, how long people stayed on, how many people uh, set up a meeting directly during the uh, the webinar. You know, at this point, we don't know whether that meeting may still be a week out. So we certainly don't know if it's turned into an opportunity, it's pipeline, so on and so forth. But it goes in, you can think of it rings. The first ring is the right after, let's get the basics. And that's a come. It's primarily a numbers driven thing. It's pulling the data out. Uh, a week or so later, you will have had some qualitative feedback directly from the BDRs about the response they're getting when they're reaching people, what kind of feedback they have. And then you go the next ring out and it's a couple of weeks, uh, maybe actually towards the time that the next webinar has been run. And at that point, you've got a you know, probably lead cycle or the, the active lead cycle where we have a pretty good idea whether they have converted into an opportunity. Are they sitting as pipeline or interested, but uh, they're still really research mode. The intent is not what we what we hoped it was based on the, their interaction. So it's very much a combination of things. Some of those uh, are typically emailed out as information or shared on a music Kanban board, those sorts of things. And then a lot of the information is gathered and also discussed in follow-up sessions, a debrief after after the webinar happens. So it's, it's a combination of both. We try to honestly, we try to make it as shareable as possible. So we use the tools, the communication tools we have, the you know, corporate communication tools, the Slacks, Teams, whatever, to get that information out. Because there are so many people involved that want to know and they want to feel the momentum, even if they had nothing to do with it and learn from it somehow or just see the progress. And it also, frankly, holds people accountable, right? We want to make sure that follow-up happened and you've got 40 marketers coming after you if you didn't follow up on the lead that you're supposed to. Brian, I think that you know, we've, we've talked quite a bit. You've given us, I think, a lot of interesting insight into how you guys do it over there in terms of maximizing the value of the BDR function and how it ties into marketing. Gabby, I think it's time to get to the point. Let's get to the point. It's not uncommon for marketing and sales to just have a nasty relationship and to not get along or to be a lot of animosity between marketing and sales departments. And you've shared with us, Brian, today on this episode, really how you guys do it well and how you've broken down those silos and how you've really put in a lot of rigor. Obviously, there's tools, there's process, there's procedures. We've talked a lot about those things in action and in play, but we'd love to, the show is called Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. So you've showed us the proof. Let's get to the point. Let's talk about if there are other similar companies out there, other CMOs of companies that are struggling with their sales team, their BDR teams, whatever that might be. We talked a little bit today on the show, but tell us maybe in some greater detail or more practical advice of, of how others out there can get better alignment with their sales team. And also sure. if there are CMOs out there that would like <clears throat> to bring their BDR team over to marketing, what are some strategies that they can do that in terms of talking to stakeholders, building the building the mechanisms internally to start yep. creating some of the some of the rigor that you have going on your team at Alert Logic. Sure. I'd probably start with a, a couple things. I, I think the first one, and I, I covered some detail on these before, but just to 
to net it out, to get to the point. It, it starts with accountability. And I think for any marketer, hopefully it's not a secret, but sellers live and die and get hired and get fired, unfortunately, with accountability. They own a number. And so when marketers own a number, it creates a ton of credibility. And it means you've got real skin in the game. So owns, own it. Whatever for you it is, for me, it's almost always pipeline. It's a pipeline dollar, euro, sec, whatever it may be. It's, it's owning that number and it makes it very black and white. They know what you're accountable for. And it's something they really care about to say nicely. And I think that's where the, the alignment comes, comes very naturally. I think from a program perspective, um, and you would ask when the BDRs or SDRs come into the marketing organization, I think the biggest piece of guidance I would give is have a plan, have a very detailed plan. Don't be afraid to have a certain plan. It's not just, you know, there are many ways to skin the cat and you know, I'm sure lots of folks out there that have run them. Uh, run uh, uh, development teams as inbound only, outbound only, combinations mapped to teams, uh, uh, regional teams or not, but build something very structured. And in my case, we've had a schedule that every single BDR followed. And that sounds, it may sound over the top, I, I don't know, but it was by the 30 minute mark, we had that planned out for the entire week. Now that meant there was certainly time that was just rest your brain, do what you got to do, catch up on stuff, human time, whatever you want to call it. This is often a team that has to scale. And there, it's one thing to have two BDRs, it's another thing to have. And when you've got 40 folks that are typically brand new out of, out of a college or a year or something like that, probably new to your business, giving them parameters and structure is both good for them and they probably will appreciate it because they'll know what they need to be doing. It also will give them an opportunity to learn from their peers because they are also basically doing the same thing. And so an example of that would be every day or every other day or whatever it may be for you at 10.30, from 10.30 to 11.15, everybody does your outbound calls. Everybody. Don't tell me that you're two hours difference and so it's going to make a 50% uh, you know, improvement in your conversion if you wait a couple hours. No, it's like everybody calls. So everybody's in the today virtual pit together you're able to hear each other you're able to learn from each other at 10 15 everyone gets off and says oh my gosh i killed it here's what happened or you can all say oh my god i had these you know four awful calls and you can just get it off your chest together but when you have that structure it really you know, ensures that everyone's doing all the things that you needed to do it means they're doing the research it means you have block time for education and trade 80 percent of these folks probably want to end up in sales at some point and you know, that kind of mentoring you bring in a sales leader every single week to uh, to do some sort of training. And, and so structure, I think if you give them structure, it's a toolkit as much as anything. It's not uh, intended to kind of bind them to, to not be creative or anything. It just gives them a structure where they can really you know shine and, and use their own creativity and their own their own skill set. So those are, those are a couple of things I would suggest. I That's love that. <laughs> now this is where we get into a problem here because Mike's going to talk over me and I'm not going to let him do that because I have a I'll burning question. <laughs> I have a burning question for you, Brian. Toolkit. And it was actually just in my head. I wanted to talk to you about Toolstack in particular. You've mentioned a few things here and there throughout the show, but let's actually break it down. Let's. I'd love to know specifically what is in your Toolstack and whether that's software or other kinds of like, for example, um, what do you use for your playbooks or how do you communicate these, the structure, the rigor that we just talked about? Is that in a document? Is that somewhere on the cloud? So tell us a little bit about your tool stack and how that gets used vis-a-vis -vis the marketing team with the BDRs. And then how does that loop the sales leader and the sales team in as well? Yeah. The first thing I would tell you is one of the things that notorious is probably the right word that I tell you know my teams is 
don't bring a request for a new tool until you can demonstrate that what you have is slowing you down. You could run out of Excel and you can run off of email, and you can run out of web, but when you get to a point where you're using that or Marketo or whatever it may be, when you get to a point where that's slowing you down, or maybe before you actually start slowing down, where you can go faster, that's when you invest in, uh, in a new tool. And I'd say when I joined AlertLogic, we probably offloaded 10 tools within the first six months because frankly, we weren't, it wasn't making it helping us to go faster because we didn't have the underlying process. And so the schedule that I talked about before, if you don't have a rigorous structure to your day, piling on a bunch of predictive data is not going to make you go any faster. It's just probably going to take a media promotion budget off your hands and, and really won't give you a whole lot of a lift. So that's, I always feel compelled as a CMO to, to make that, to make that. For as far as the tools that we're, we're using, we have a pretty, pretty typical stack. I think a lot of the, the similar tools, Salesforce, Marketo's, we, uh, and with PRs, we run outreach. So all of our, our sequences are, are in outreach. It just means that they're shareable. Marketers can get in there and help edit and create temp reps can go in there and customize templates that have worked well for them that they're more comfortable with. Uh, again, like we want to, it gives us an opportunity to have messaging in there that everybody uses, but if you want to introduce yourself slightly different or, or whatever, then it, uh, it does allow the team to be, uh, to customize to their own. So that's a critical one with lots of great different campaigns, so on and so forth. And then uh, we use Drift. So uh, I guess, I don't know if this is a plug for all the vendors that we love, but we're a Drift shop, which we actually carve out a, a few BDRs. Basically those that are performing really well, get the opportunity to work the Drift. And those uh, tend to be ones that are extremely engaged. They're, you know, they're raising their hand. Oftentimes they're saying, I want to talk to somebody live right now. Certainly a lead I'd want to talk to if I was a BDR. So Drift is, uh, is one, again, there's playbooks in there. We, we build all of those out based on our business, where we, we win best. And you know, we tend to do extremely well if there's uh, complex cloud environments with with our customers, so we will shout that out early in the drift sequence, and you know that'll tend to get a lot of hands raised. A bunch of backend web tools, just all the you know typical SEO tools. Do you have any tools that you use for project management, scheduling, internal communication, things like that? Yeah, we use we use Smartsheet as a uh, work management uh, tool that we use, and we basically use it uh, as a basic collaboration platform. You can have you know collaboration in context of the work you're actually doing. There's lots of tools out there, honestly. Uh, Smartsheet works well for us. Find what fits. Uh, it does mean also that it's not locked into an email or locked into a departmental a tool. Our whole company uses it, so it's shared across the board. We can pull in a finance person if they're part of the campaign or or whatever. Data is probably an important one that uh, I'm not sure how I missed that one. <laughs> uh, but you know, we have, and, and data, we probably cut half of the, the, the tools I mentioned before were data platforms that were just sitting there that were either duplicative or we just weren't making use of. And uh, so you know, we use Six, Six Sense as, as one of our, I guess you could call it a data platform. A couple of years ago, we probably would have called it a predictive platform. I'm sure there's a you know, snappier industry name for it now. But where there's uh, gaps in, in data overseas, sometimes we'll pull in a local vendor just to fill in some of those gaps. And one other, and this is a very basic one, we're a Salesforce shop and Salesforce reporting has gotten better with Lightning, but I wouldn't say it's uh, anybody's favorite visualization tool. So uh, we use Microsoft Power BI, Hello, whatever works for you, but it is, it is great. I mean, honestly, like it does something that for me, especially as a CMO, it nets out good or bad because you're actually able to put it, not just what's the line doing, but give me the attainment and you do custom variables in there. So we look at not just it's today's the 21st of them. So I don't want to compare against the end of the month. I want to compare against pace to plan 21 days into the month and you can do all those kinds of things and, and get a really good 
quick glance, and I think it's not just for me, my whole team looks at it because it's, uh, it's not your analysis tool. It tells you where you've got problems or where things are going really well. And so there's a lot of flexibility and visualization. And that's honestly probably one that I'm in more than any other tool that we have. You can bring different data sets together, you bring DNA data in and your Salesforce data, overlay them, finance data. So you can get some of your cost stuff in there as well. And you can actually you know, look at really meaningful and interesting metrics. Wonderful. You've shared with us a lot about your toolkit, a lot about the process, your tech stack, which is always good to know. And we like to give a shout out to some of these big guys because maybe they might want to sponsor us. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, no pressure over there, but it's good for our audience also to hear what other CMOs are using, what other teams are using. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, I think it's about time for the lightning round. I think it's about time. So we're going to get you in the lightning round. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Stretch there's, there's... a little bit. Yeah. yeah, get into it. It's it's a lot of fun here. Gabby's talking it up a little too much this time, but that's okay. All right. So again, just a few questions for you. None of these are that complicated. We'll start with what's the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Pipeline, cur pipeline currency, whatever that currency may be. That's right. What's a new marketing strategy or tactic that you're looking forward to testing out the, the rest of it? That's a good question. Honestly, one of the tactics is just optimize the crap out of everything that we're doing, make everything a little bit better, perhaps. I think it was something just net new that we're not doing and probably relevant to this conversation. It's podcasts are an interesting content form. And I've seen them both, maybe this is not lightning enough, but this is a quick <laughs> answer. I've seen it used both as just content, you know, way to capture ears and eyes, but also in the ABM world as a way to capture high value leads and you get them on the, the show and get them talking about how smart they are and how great their company is. And next thing they're perfectly happy to connect you to their uh, other ops team or whatever, or whatever you're, you're selling. Brian, you're giving away all the secrets, man. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, is, is the big sell coming after the call? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> but you are right about podcasts and just how valuable they can be in terms of content. And Mike and I were on a podcast recording last night and the hosts, we were talking about podcasting and we all agreed that the worst thing that comes out of a podcast is that you learn something. The best, obviously, could be content, could be thought leadership, and like you just very astutely pointed out, it, it is an opportunity to get in front of clients, potential clients, and so on and so forth. So totally agree with you there. And uh, happy to talk podcasting with you after the show if you want to get some ideas or resources where we love talking about that stuff. Yeah, the, the, I will. I know this is a lightning round. I'm interrupting that, but I will say that I think the content is what needs to be prioritized, though, because yeah. you can very easily uh, go wrong by focusing on the, the sales aspect and content's got to stand on its own. All right. What's a tool or platform that you use in your work that you couldn't live without? Can I repeat our, our data visualization sure. tool? That's my day to day. It's my heartbeat. It doesn't make things happen, but it tells me what's happening and not happening. So Power BI, for those who don't remember, what is your least favorite business word or phrase? This is just a personal pet peeve. There was a time when the word incentivize wasn't a word. So <laughs> it's, it's rifted into the lexicon, but for whatever reason, it's still just a little bit. Don't know why. Okay. All right. Since we were just talking about podcasts, what is your favorite podcast or maybe a couple of favorites that you consistently listen to? Oh gosh, that's, let's see. You know, so truth here, I haven't listened to many podcasts recently. I used to do a lot. I'd be on the road a lot. 
and it was how I got places. So right. I listened to the recently, I guess, you know, I listened to Will, this is more just personal, the what's his name? Jason Bateman and Will Arnett one. That one was pretty funny just for pure entertainment purpose. But yeah, honestly, it's, it's been a while. So I've got no personal, so I'm open to recommendations both for making my brain smarter as well as just relaxing my brain into nothingness. <laughs> Well, we got some ideas. We'll share some after the show. Yeah, I've got a whole um, list. I, mean, I just spent three days in the car driving up from Florida not too long ago. So I've listened to all sorts perfect. of podcasts. <laughs> and little plug here. We certainly invite you to keep listening to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. We've got some great guests. So make that one on your list as well. All right. Next question. What is your favorite business or marketing book? Let's see. Favorite business or marketing book. Probably the one I share the most is the Strengths Finder book. Yep. Uh, so I love that one. I think it's on 2.0 or whatever. I'm a pretty religious strengths finder. I lived at Rackspace for almost 10 years and that was the language of the world we, we lived in. It's just a great way at home or work. Yeah, so, yeah. that's I, a life book as much as a business book. I like that book too. And I noticed that we share one strength in common. I noticed you have it on your LinkedIn profile and that is woo. And that's actually one of my favorite strengths. And I, I tend to rely a lot on that. It's, yeah. The book says strengths can be overpowering at times and it can annoy people when I'm sitting at the checkout line at, at Home Depot, finding out everything going on with everybody around me and you get to know their <laughs> life story and what, whatnot. I can commiserate you with you because Mike gets really annoyed when I do things like that, either on our podcast, when I'm talking to our guests or at the grocery store, at the restaurant, whatever it is, but it's just who we are. We it's, gotta embrace it's a strength, that. Mike. It's her it strength. I've, I've embraced it. It's, uh, <laughs> we've been it's, together long enough. It's, I've definitely embraced it. It's, it's unfortunately not one of Mike's strengths, but, but we won't fault him for that. I've, I've actually never done this. I've never done the strengths finder. Oh, you oh. should. Be good. So the, I've done all sorts of other do, ones, but never done the strengths finder. Gabby, for you is before he takes it, write down what you think his top five are. Oh, okay, know. yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. We do a couple of other personality assessments at Proofpoint yeah. for our whole team. And then Mike and I, right after we started our business together, we took one that was designed for couples. That was really cool. It was about how you make decisions because hmm. of the way that we make part, decisions. There's a part of it that's for couples. It's part the Colby. Of it for, it's, it's more, uh, it's the Colby. It's all about uh, how assessment. you make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was cool. a cool one, but the I, I love the strengths finder and I'm glad you yeah. said that one. We like to have a bonus question that relates to our guest. And and prior to the show, we were talking about your interesting last name and your and where that's from. Give us some, which, which for those listening, Brian's family is originally Bosque. So tell us something that maybe the average person doesn't know about the Bosque culture, the Bosque language. Sure. Yes, and I'll, I'll caveat or asterisk by saying I am not a historian on the Basque culture, but <laughs> I have read a few books and I've been to the Basque country. So a couple things I would tell you is it is a, a group that over time and has been around for thousands and thousands of years, the language is one, is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, on planet Earth. It's just been around forever. The origins are not connected to any Romance language, it's, there's no, uh, Basque and Spanish are not connected. And so it's an extremely, extremely old language. So there are only really a few thousand people on earth that, that speak it. And the Basque people over, again, millennia have never, ever been conquered. So they, over they're, they live in a rugged, I mean, it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Food is great. I highly recommend go to San Sebastian, 
sit in the water, have a glass of wine and some delicious fish. But the country's rugged, so it's really been hard for other, over the years, as conquerors came through, just they, they took high ground. It was really hard for them to be taken over. And then over time, they would make agreements and join forces, but never officially be conquered. I've been told we're a stubborn people. Oh, uh, okay. At least some of the traits have carried through to me. <laughs> and that's where I think the woo comes in. Because if you're stubborn, you have to be charming and woo people. And so I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. I know that's totally not marketing or sales related, but we like to throw in some non-marketing yeah. things and just share a little bit more about our guests. All right. Last question. Who is a B2B marketing expert or in your case, we could also say a B2B sales expert that you admire on LinkedIn. I'm surely not alone here. I think one that a lot of us admire just over the years is John Miller. He's done so much to both give us the foundational toolkit of the Marketo and Mangagio and whatnot. And I think also I've heard him speak a number of times. Um, He's expanded, I, I think, the lens of what a marketer is. And if you're a marketer, especially a B2B marketer, I think you have a better sense of it. We're not just creative and, and squishy stuff. It's numbers. He's a thinker. He's a market maker. If you think about the just the markets that he has helped to create. And I remember when he started Engageo, you know, that sort of became a thing. And the whole ABM movement started with a lot of the work that he was, uh, he was doing. And just sitting there at the early days, listening to, he was doing, I think, podcasts or and, and had it. Of course, he's got his kind of definitive guide, kind of white papers and whatnot, but you could just see it coming. And to have that kind of vision and have the skill set to go do something about it. And uh, marketers are, can be a tough route because we do this for a living. And so he's somebody I admire from, from that standpoint. Awesome. 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 Yeah. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We learned so much from this conversation. I know our listeners are also going to get tons of value from your experience in beautifully and masterfully combining those age-old frenemies, marketing and sales, putting in the rigor, having it in the right tool set. Where can uh, our listeners find you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, they can find me uh, certainly on, on LinkedIn. I've been around long enough that my handle is B2B online marketing. Before anyone grabbed that, <laughs> that's probably the, the, the easiest way to find me on Twitter, B Urioste. But yeah, either of those is probably the safest bet. Yeah, reach out, connect with me. Uh, happy to connect to anybody that wants to talk. Wonderful. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. You've shown us the proof. We've gotten to the point. So we look forward to continuing the conversation. And until next time, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Show Me the Proof Get to the Point podcast. Join us weekly for new episodes and seriously smart B2B marketing success stories. We'll show you the proof and get to the point every time. Find additional resources on the ProofPoint website, www.proofpoint.marketing, including the full episode library with show notes, guides, templates, and more great resources. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, and please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.